Shabbat Shalom. Start with a prayer. Father Yahweh, blessed are you. We thank you so much for your Shabbat, this day of rest. We thank you for gathering us together in this body, um, that we may worship you and praise you, that we may hear your word. Father, um, I just pray that you would be with me as I deliver this message. Father, may uh, the soil be ready to receive the word, and may my words be true to you and your word. And Father, I also say uh, a special prayer for my Aunt Karen Lempergal and also for Elder Jacob C. Meyer. Father, we just pray for healing for both of them in their time of need. Uh, may you come in and be with them. Father, we praise and exalt you, and we ask this prayer in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. So yeah, originally, actually, it was the original working title of my message was going to be grafted to the Hebrew root. And then as I started studying it, I ended up changing it to the grafted to the righteous root. But um, <clears throat> I wanted to start at, uh, by looking at a few Proverbs. And it's almost kind of like a somewhat of an addendum or continuation of my last message in a way. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to start out in Proverbs 12, verses 11 and 12. And it says there that whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is wicked covets the spoils of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. <clears throat> so I, I kind of, this, this one kind of hit home to me. I was listening to Proverbs a few weeks ago as I was um, just kind of working during the day, and um, this one really got me. I was like, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. So I, I, I enjoyed that. But there's a few words here that we've seen before. Uh, the word works is abad, and I talked about this last time, my last message. <clears throat> and it literally means to work, to serve. Sometimes it says till. Um, but it, this word actually means uh, to be kept in bondage or to be a bond man or to be in bond service. Um, <clears throat> we saw this word in Genesis 2.5 and 2.15 and put him there to do so. And again, um, the word land is uh, translated from the Hebrew word adamah which is literally the soil, the ground, the earth. Uh, so we are actually literally, like I was talking to last time, we're bound to the soil. We're bound from that where we came. Now in the, the preceding verse, we kind of get introduced to two um, new words that we're going to look at today. And uh, the first one is um, <clears throat> root, which is shoresh. And uh, it's literally a root, you know, the bottom of something. It's, it's the root, the heel, you know, um, it's what supports everything. And the next is uh, righteous, or zadik. And uh, it means just, lawful, or righteous, being a righteous man. And it comes from uh, 663 in the, or 6663 in the Hebrew, the, basically the next one in Strong's. And um, <clears throat> which it's, if you look at it, let, let's look at them real quick. So you got the, the, the first righteous word here is 6662 which is, sorry, it doesn't come across the best in, the, in here, but it's the, the Saudi Dalit. And then it's actually the, the Yod there is really just a, um, part of the vowel combination, and then a Kof. And the same thing with the, um, its root word is also the Saudi uh, Dalit and the Kof. And uh, it's just said, um, Zadok is how it's versus Zadik. So the righteous in this, um, in Proverbs 12, 
12 is Zadik, and it comes from Zadok. But again, it's to make right, to be moral, um, to be clear, and to be righteous. It, it's to be just, right? That's, that's what we're looking at, to be just, moral, or decent. Let's take a couple looks. We'll come back to, to this thought here, this, uh, this Shoresh Zadik. But um, I just, while I was in Proverbs, let's take a look at a few more. Proverbs twelve twenty seven. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. So, you know, a slothful person, a wa- you know, somebody that's wasteful. You know, it's here it's even saying that a wasteful person, this guy, whoever th- this is talking about, is so wasteful that he goes out and, and hunts something down and shoots it and doesn't even eat it. He doesn't even cook it. He lets it go to waste. That's, you know, you know why would you let something go to waste? That's a slothful thing. However, you know, what's this precious wealth? You know, the diligent man gets precious wealth. And um, I, I say it's the blessings, you know, it's food. Yahweh provided him food, allowed him to harvest this animal. You know, you don't waste that, you eat it. Next proverb, uh, 1323. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. So I think about this a lot, you know. There's a lot of ground that sits out there that's, that could be worked. But it's not because... As, as humans now, we're in servitude to this other system where we spend all of our time working, right? We're working, we're running around, and the ground that's sitting in our backyard could be producing food for us, but it just, it lies fallow, and it just goes to waste. It's not worked. It's, you know, we're, we're brought, we're taking up in other pursuits, um, you know, but I, <clears throat> this injustice, that's something we're going to look at because to me it's akin to unrighteousness. You know, I want to talk about the righteous root, but injustice, it's akin to unrighteousness. And it's, um, it's anti-righteous, right? Injustice, anti-righteous, uh, even kind of anti-Messiah. It's, it's the opposite of what Messiah taught. As we're going to see, Messiah taught us how to be just. And, um, you know, that's the opposite. Last proverb here that we're going to look at, 24-27. Prepare your work outside and get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. That's pretty much opposite of the way we work in the world today. The first thing we worry about is getting our house built, and then we're going to build, you know, worry about putting a little garden in. But the proverb says do it the other way. Go out and get everything ready so that you can eat, then worry about your shelter. That was something that I, I thought that one was interesting. But now let's... <clears throat> let's jump back now uh, to this thought of the righteous root that we saw in Proverbs twelve twelve. So in doing that, we're actually going to turn to Isaiah 11, because we're, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, this concept of grafting and being um, grafted into this righteous root. And one of the, the places that, the verses that sticks out to me the most is Isaiah 11. We're just going to read um, 1 through 4. It says, There shall come forth a shoot, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear good fruit. And the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. And his delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or, dis- or decide disputes by what his ear hears, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth 
and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So I'm just going to kind of propose something as we look through this here. But I think, you know, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy is really the translation is from um, Kadesh, and it means uh, to be set apart, this set apart spirit. And right here is a good spot when you're when you're trying to understand and you're thinking about things in a high way of like, you know, what's the Holy Spirit? In a way, this is a good good verse to look at, I feel. You know, it's the, the set apart way is, you know, this, you know, think of the set apart, the, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, you know, so that's, that's the set apart spirit to have wisdom and understanding and the set apart spirit of proper counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. That's these things set us apart. So let's take a look at a few of these words. I got underlined here for a reason. If you'll notice as you follow through with these slides, anywhere that I have something underlined, it's because um, we're going we're gonna to look at that word in one way or another. So uh, stump is from the Hebrew word geza, which is um, gimel, zion, and ayin. And it's uh, from an unused root meaning to cut down uh, as trees, and it's the trunk or stump of a tree. Um, as felled or as planted. Uh, the RSB, the KJV, uses the word stem. And uh, the next word we're going to look at here is uh, netzer, which is translated the word uh, branch, and that is nun, uh, sadi, resh. And um, it's, it's in the sense of greenness as a striking color, a shoot, figuratively a descendant or a branch, as it's, as it's um, called a branch. It's interesting to take note that the word netzer uh, can refer both to a, a actual branch or a shoot of a tree or descendants, hence the word family tree. And uh, specifically here, you know, it's referring to, you know, this, the Jesse, right, the stump of Jesse, the family of David. However, it was cut down. We know that, um, you know, the kingdom was eventually split apart and, and just cut back and... Um, so when we think of things here and uh, <clears throat> something small is going to come, come from something that was once large, you know, once this giant kingdom under Solomon was cut back. And, you know, Yahshua, where did he come from? He came from Nazareth, right? And what, what's actually said, you read in the good news, it says, what good can come from Nazareth? I actually, I don't have the verse here, but I just that popped in, you know, it's said at one point, what, what good can come from Nazareth? Nazareth. So we're looking at something seemingly small, you know, that that's came from something great and is going to be something great. Uh, and then the last word we're going to look at here is uh, para, and that's the word, you know, where we get the word fruit from. And um, it literally means to bear fruit and to bring forth, cause to grow, to be fruitful and to increase. So to, what I want to talk to about, talk to everybody about, is producing good fruit. So, in the process of grafting, a particular rootstock is selected uh, for the production of seedlings. And I just want to make a disclaimer: I am by no means a grafting expert. I have, when I was in horticulture class in high school, we we learned about grafting, but basically we just took some stuff, grafted together, and threw it in the trash. We didn't use actual stuff. They just, this is how it works, you know. So, I'm, I've never successfully done it. Um, I just want to talk about it spiritually. So don't think you're going to learn something and be able to go home and graft. You're, you're not. I'm not making that claim. 
So anyhow, but you know, they'll either there there will be a, a certain root stock. There are particular root stocks that are that are desirable that they use as um, uh, to graft to, or they'll they will use an existing well established tree that was no longer bearing good fruit, or they just it's a variety that they don't want anymore. Maybe it has a lot of problems, but the they roots good, so they'll cut that tree back and they will use it um, as rootstock. And that's what's called a cleft or a bark graft. And you can see it here. And that's when this larger uh, ex existing rootstock is used and new variety or varieties are grafted actually onto this, this stock and they're allowed to grow and establish a new tree or a renewed tree. Um, so the picture on the top right, that's uh, a pear sprig. Um, sprigs I should say and they're actually grafted to an old apple variety so it was a pear tree or it was a it was an apple tree and they're they're making it a pear so there's actually cross you know it's not there's different fruits can be on the same tree and um and then the picture on the bottom right that's actually a mango tree so let's um let's kind of kick back to uh Isaiah 11 we're going to continue to look through this and look at some of these words so here we see uh, another form of the word zadik, and you'll see it's the same exact consonants. The again, the the sadi dalid kof, and it's um, from the Hebrew or the Strong's Hebrew sixty six sixty four uh, zadik. Again, it's really just a, a, a different vowel combination that makes it a slightly different word, but it's it's still from uh, sixty six sixty three which we just looked at a few slides ago and it says the right the natural moral um and it were legal way to do things it's the equitable way it's the right thing and um again it's just a different tense and and if you look at this word zadik um this combination i think there's about four or five different words or forms of the word that are found it's actually over 500 times it's found in the torah i mean i know yahweh's name's like in a uh, 7,000 times. I mean, it's, it's a lot. But even still, the word zadik is actually used a lot. Um, <clears throat> the, the word root here, we've looked at that before. That's shoresh. That's this, um, the word for root. And eretz, we looked at last time that I spoke, and it's uh, from an unused root, probably meaning to be firm. But again, it's the earth. Um, Country, earth, ground, but literally, it's it's the earth. So, it's saying here that, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So, I just uh, kind of one thing I want to think about is you know Matthew five five. It says that yeah you know that he will judge um, or the meek shall inherit the earth. That's what it says. You know, but. Kind of as we're we're thinking about ourselves and how we should be, meekness is an important part to being righteous and to be um, grafted to that root. So, what might make the root holy? Uh, remember the word, like I said earlier, holy is just uh, to set apart. So, let's take a look at a Torah command for something holy or set apart, and that's the Nazarite. And this, just bear with me for a minute. This kind of might seem a little off off the wall of a, of a comparison here. But in Numbers 6, 2 through 8, it reads, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to Yahweh, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. 
He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. That's no raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the day of his vows of separation, no razor, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to Yahweh. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to Yahweh, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean, because because his separation to Elohim is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to Yahweh. You know, in many ways, uh, the point that I'm going to try to make is, you know, we need to be set apart. We need to, we're called to be a holy people, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. So this word, Nazarite, is actually similar. It's, it's a different word. I'm not trying to make too many jumps or connections here, but it is, it's very similar um, to the word Netzer that's used for branch. So Na- Nazarite is a noon Zion instead of the... Um, the uh, sorry, I'm having a mental block. Uh, Saudi instead of the Saudi, it's a Zion, but it's Nun uh, Zion Resh and um, Netzer had had the Saudi in it. But anyhow, it means to be separated to to or to separate to consecrate as a prince, a Nazarite, and um, it's also used talked about as an unpruned vine, like the unshorn Nazarite. Um. Some say by a false alteration, alteration with Nazareth, but basically it's something that's separate. Um, so it doesn't it not only means someone that's consecrated, but an undressed vine. I kind of want to talk about that or, or emphasize that. Uh, there is obviously a connection here to being holy and the undressed vine as we saw that the Nazarite was not able to eat the produce of the vine. And I kind of thought about that, and I don't have any real clear understanding why, other than it, um, you know, the undressed vine may represent the sabbatical year, right? So you can't, you can't prune your vines in a sabbatical year, and you can't, you're not supposed to harvest the fruit to make that wine, and, and there might be some kind of deeper connection, just an understanding uh, between not eating that and the sabbatical year. I, you know, I really don't know, but it was just, it's... It's a thought, you know, it's just something to think about. But it also may have to do with the the good fruit being used to create the wine, which is used in offerings and everything else, because wine in itself is actually a symbol of a successful and stable society. Uh, It takes a lot of planning um, and and forethought to be able to produce wine. You have to go out and clear the land. You got to plant the the vines. You have to wait for them to grow. You have to you know graft good varieties onto them, and then you have to actually produce this wine and, and smash the grapes. And you got to be able to to allow it to to ferment and allow it to produce the wine. So it's not something that that a bunch of nomads are able to produce wine. It's something that you have to be on the land, you have to be living in the place, and you have to be there for years and expect to be there. So it's kind of a, it's a symbol of, of a stable um, kind of production, you know, productive society, a symbol of a flourishing society. Let's kind of hold on to that thought of this, of this vine 
And uh, let's just take a couple other examples of the branch and um, of grafting that we can see in the scriptures. So in Isaiah uh, 4.2, it says, In that day, the branch of Yahweh shall be a beautiful shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land, Aretz there, shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. So here the actual the, the word branch comes from a, a different um, Hebrew word, and it's uh, samek, it's sadi mem chet, and uh, it literally means a, a sprout, a branch, a bud, or uh, that which grew from. So, and here the word fruit is peri, and um, it's from 6509, the word that we looked at, which was para, we looked at earlier, and uh, it means fruit, literally a bough, or a reward. So let's jump to another one. I'm just kind of jumping around. I wanted to look at a bunch of scriptures. We'll kind of get back and talk about a few things here. In Isaiah 60, 21, it says, your people shall be a righteous, zadik, shall be Shall, I'm sorry. Your people shall all be righteous, which is Zadik. They shall possess the land, Aretz, forever, the branch, Netzer, of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. So we, we shall be Zadik, Zadiks. We're called to be righteous people, holy people. You know, we have to start practicing this as people. We have to be different than the world. If we're no different than the world, if we're, if we're not acting any different, then we'll come to find out there's, there's really, we have the same fate. We must set ourselves apart. Because this, this, this verse comes from a prophecy concerning the coming kingdom of Yahweh. And in it, we will see that we will be a righteous branch planted by Yahweh, and we shall possess the earth forever. That's our hope. That's why we need to be different. Um, if we, you know, intend to, to inherit it, we have to we have to be that, be what we're called to be. Uh, jump into another verse here, Zechariah three eight. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch, Semek. I just I wanted to pull and look at these two words, branch, and it's the same as we saw in Isaiah four. Um, and I, you know, I obviously I believe that this this is a prophecy of the forecoming, um, and it foreshadows Joshua. You know, you have the priest at the time when they were coming back. His name was Joshua, and or Joshua, as that's but really Joshua, and he was, um, you know, he was a Joshua type, and and um, at serving as priest, and it really kind of gives us that foreshadow of Joshua as our high priest. So when you graft this picture here, um, we're talking about a, a different way to graft now, is when you graft a branch to another branch of a tree that already exists. So instead of just whacking the whole tree down, you just take, um, cut a piece of, of the branch off of, of, off of one, and you bring a little scion on, and that's called a whip graft, and that's what we see here. So I'm just kind of looking at different examples of, of grafts. Um, one thing I want to kind of point out, too, is that first, graphs are kind of ugly, especially, you know, they're, it's not really a, necessarily a beautiful thing to look, look at up close. It's kind of a, a process, you know, where you're cutting the tree, and when you do a scion like this, there's actually several cuts that you make because you, the, it, it's not like you're just buttoning them up together. That the, 
the actual tree needs to be able to grow together. So you actually make a few slits in there with under the bark so that it, that it actually can bind together and to be able to, um, to grow back together and, and to heal. So there's, there's a cutting and then there's a healing process. And I feel that there, it's a process that, that we go through as believers, uh, especially right away. You know, when you first come um, to, to walk different in this world, it's, it's a hard walk. Um, <clears throat> let's take a look at another one here. Um, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous, a zadik, uh, branch, Samach in this case, so a Zadik Samach, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, Eretz. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. Yahweh is our righteousness, or Yahweh Zigkanu. So the, this word is... Uh, 3072, obviously it's right in the line of when you're looking and, you know, looking up Yahweh's name, you keep coming down, you'll see all the different names. This is one that pops in there, but it's literally Yahweh's name with, with righteousness, Zigkanu, um, attached to it, you know, and the, the Strong's defines it as coming from uh, 3068, which is Yahweh's name, and 6664, which we looked at earlier, um, with a pronormal suffix. And so Yahweh is our right, or a symbolic epithet of the Messiah and of Jerusalem. Yahweh is our righteousness. So per the prophecies of Jeremiah, when the Messiah returns, he will no longer be called Yahshua, or Yahweh is our salvation, because he's done that part. He saved us. Now it's Yahweh is our righteousness. Yahweh Zidkanu. And I, you know, it's just wonder, you know, I wonder, is, would it be Yah Zidkanu? Is it going to be some form of that? But, um, you know, when he comes back, he's going to be our righteousness. So I've been setting this all up in the prophets and the Torah, and I was talking earlier about the grapevine, so I'm sure many of you know where I'm heading next. Um, but we're going to look to the good news, to the gospel, and we're going to um, fully establish um, what it is to be grafted to the righteous rootstock and, um, you know, to be grafted to the Messiah. So we're going to jump now to uh, John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These are the things that I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. So we are the branches that are to be grafted into him, and we need to abide in him. So then how, sh- how then shall we live? How we, are we to abide or be grafted into him? Take a close look at verse 10. We must keep his commandments. We are grafted in through the covenant, the same covenant that existed from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the entire nation, the entire nation of Israel, and is continually renewed so that more branches may be grafted in. So I actually have a few verses that I want to get to. I kind of added them after the fact. And just to, just to prove this point to what Yash was saying here, to understand how he um, is the true vine, and really, what are his words? So if he's the vine and we are to follow him, what does that mean for us? We have to listen to what he had to say and do what he had to say. So let's turn to Matthew 5, and I really want to look at 520, but let's start in 17 because I can resist reading it, but do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come, or I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter nor one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, Yeah, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, and this is the point I want to get to. We're talking about the righteous branch, right, and being part of that branch. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's jump to, I want to jump to another one. Sorry, I don't have a slide. I kind of, I added these like last minute. Let's jump to 1 Peter. Um, I'm going to start reading in 13, 1 Peter 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope in the grace that Yeshua Messiah will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the, de- to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves. In all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's quoting Leviticus 19.2. I just want to stop and slow down on, on Peter's words here for a few minutes. So what he's saying here, he's talking in, in um, when, when, Yeshua Messiah, when Yeshua Messiah will bring you when he is revealed. I'm thinking, you know, that's not in the future. That's now. I mean, he's revealed to you, right? You, we know who Yahshua is now. It's, he's no mystery to us. We've heard him. We praise him. Um, we, he has been revealed. So now we need to bring ourselves. We have to be obedient children to him. And we have to walk away from our formal, former life. We have to be set apart. We have, we're called to be new people now. So these these desires that we had before, they have to be gone. You know, these desires of the world. We we can't have those desires of the world. We have to be called to be new people. It says that as he is holy, 
he that called you is holy and set apart, we must be set apart as well. And um, in order for us to be righteous, we need to have the spirit that I talked about back in Isaiah 11. This this spirit of right judging, of right rules. We need to make sure that as as followers of Yahshua, we are having these, these this spirit. Uh, look at First Peter while we're there, one 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 through two. It says Peter, an apostle of Yeshua Messiah, to the exiles of the dispersion. Verse two, it says, who have been. I mean, he's saying these actual places, but you know, he's talking to us as well. And verse two, it says, who have been chosen and destined by. A, Elohim the Father, and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Yeshua the Messiah and to be sprinkled by his blood. We are sanctified by this set-apart spirit. That's what sets us apart and sanctifies us. If, we don't, if we're not going to be set apart from the world, we're, we're not abiding in him. And um, what did it say in John? What was going to happen? We would be cut off. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look here a little bit now in this next part of grafting, which there's a, before you can graft something, there's, there's a lot of things that have to be removed. A lot of stuff has to be cut off. Um, you know, we have to bear fruit, too. Keep, keep that in mind, it says. If we do not bear fruit, Yahshua says, that we are going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. So it gives new meaning when Yahweh says that. And um, when we do not obey, you know, so let's, let's talk about one thing where we see it's things like eating Leaven, what is, if you eat something that's leavened during unleavened bread, it says here in uh, twelve fifteen, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Think about that. When you're talking about pruning, that gives you a new meaning. You're cut off. You're removed. Let's take a look at some more verses. Let's jump back to Isaiah, my favorite book if people can't. You know, I haven't grabbed that. That's my favorite book. <laughs> so all your inhabitants, all you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised on the mountains, look, when a trumpet is blown, hear, for thus Yahweh said to me, I will quietly look from my dwelling like clear heat and sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the blossom is over, and the flower becomes a ripening grape. He cuts off the shoots with pruning hooks, and the spreading branches he lops off and clears away. So the inhabitants of the world who are not set apart, they're going to be cut off before, before they even get to, to even bring forth that fruit, it says. When they're still, they're still in, when the blossom is over and it's starting to, to set, but before it even gets to produce that fruit, they're going, it will be cut off. Jeremiah 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares Yahweh? And shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Go up through her vine rows and destroy, but make not a full end. Strip away her branches, for they are not Yahweh's. Uh, Jeremiah eleven sixteen, Yahweh once called you a green olive tree, beautiful, with good fruit, but with... The roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to you, and its branches will be consumed. So it's, you know, for, it says it over and over. You can read Yahshua's parables over and over, and all it is different. He talks about, you know, whether it's, whether it's the, the tares that are getting gathered up, whether it's, you know, the, the, the branches that were lopped off, they all get um, cut off and thrown into the fire. 
So now let's go back. Um, well, let's get back to the hope that we have. I'm kind of here about getting cut off and thrown in the fire, but let's get back to the hope that we have, and let's turn to Romans. And um, Paul has a, in chapter 11 of Romans, he talks about grafting a bit. Romans 11, starting in verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So I just want to pause for a second. Saying if the root is set apart, the branches should be. So how are we as people set apart? And how are we, you know, if we're to be set apart from the world and to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees, you know, we have to really look at ourselves and make sure that we are actually set apart. You know, if somebody looks at you and, and what you're doing and how, what you say, the things that you, um, the fruit that you produce, if it's no different than what the world produces, are you really set apart? And that, this, I'm talking, you know, this is a, a thing that we have to look at ourselves and a question that we have to ask ourselves. Are we set apart? Because if not, you're liable to be, to be pruned off. Keep reading in 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you, thank you, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if Elohim did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of Elohim. Severity towards those who have fallen, but Elohim's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they, if they do not <clears throat> continue in their unbelief, or, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For Elohim has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So some of you, I just I want to point out an interesting thing. To me, it's almost a prophecy coming to light before us. Um, and many of you may not know this, but Brother Ian Froschweik, I'm trying to say it right. You know, he's actually of Jewish heritage, and he recently came back here during the feast last year and was baptized and grafted back into the body of Messiah. Hallelujah! And um, but he, the, the the thing to me that really gets me is even his last name last name means is translated as fruit on the branch. So that's that's really gets me. So, it, but he's bringing us our, our body back together, and he, we have to be a body of people. That, that's kind of the other part of being set apart. To be set apart, we're set apart from the world, but we need to have something to be brought into. And Yahshua said that he is the vine and we are the branches. So we're, in a way, you, 
when the tree is full of, of leaves or a vine is full of leaves and fruit, like we were looking at the picture, you could barely see the, the, the vine itself. That was kind of hidden, you know, but the fruit and the, the branches and the leaves that we are, you know, that's what, what people see. That's what the world sees. So we have to make sure as, as a body that's coming back together that we are that good branch, that good um, producing, that good fruit. Otherwise, we're not going to be a good tree. You know, there's a lot of religious societies, a lot or organizations, and there have been in the past. That's what Yahshua came, you know, and him and John, they were railing against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And to me, you know, that, that just, it, it represents religion without the actual righteousness. You know, they're, they're, they're lacking the, the, the actual justice. And I'm not talking about the social justice we hear about today that's pushed today. I'm talking about real justice, Yahweh's justice. That's the problem with America. That's the problem with our world. We don't actually have proper justice. If a man commits a crime, commits murder, the punishments that are outlined in the Torah never come to come to fruition. If a man commits murder, he should be he should be killed almost, you know, once he's found guilty, witnesses, a few witnesses came and said, yeah, he did it. He should be put to death. But nowadays, you know, the people die of old age on death row before they're ever actually put to death. It's, there's, there's no really, there's no incentive for people not to commit crimes, not to sin, because there's no real punishment for these sins. And, you know, that's, that's our, our biggest problem. You know, we, we're not, we're not, following as a country i should say at this point we're not following uh the proper biblical guidelines that that we really should be you know i'm sure back in 1776 if a man committed a crime you know justice was carried out much much quicker than it was today but let's look what um in matthew 3 7 john the baptist is out preaching and uh, baptizing people and he says uh but when but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, Elohim is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And I think that's what it's talking about, these, you know, faulty, really faulty religious systems will be cut down, you know. And as they're cut down and laid low in the times to come, I think more and more branches that were hanging on there are going to come in here, you know, and they're going to be grafted. And we, um, you know, we need to, to appear as that, that good tree that uh, Yahshua should be, that his body should be, that good tree, that good um, fruit. So, you know, and, and then, you know, what is it about the Pharisees and Sadducees? You know, the, the thing that kind of gets me is where, especially in churchianity, it just becomes, well, it's just Judaism. And Judaism itself as a whole and anything related to it that's deemed Jewish becomes what is, um, what is wrong. But really, the Pharisees and Sadducees were corrupt by Rome. They saw no justice. This, this righteousness, they didn't have righteousness. They looked. They were empty cups. But they, they weren't. They were being bribed, essentially, by Rome. Rome had controlled the temple system. They're supposed to be, you know, 
taking care of the temple, Yahweh's habitation here on earth, and supposed to be taking care of the tithes and honoring these, and they just allowed Rome to come in, and as long as they were able to keep their, their spot and able to keep their, their place in the synagogues and their place in the temple, you know, they just kind of allowed um, Rome to, to have its way. And, and um, I think that's a lot of, you know, what, what John and uh, Yahshua came to preach against was, was this corruption of the religious system. So, we're going to watch a quick video about grafting, and this guy might actually teach you something, and, um, and then I'll come back and finish up. The tree of 40 fruit is a single fruit tree that grows over 40 different types of stone fruit, including peaches, plums, apricots, nectarines, cherries, and almonds. The idea came from just sort of a fascination with the process of grafting. When I'd seen it done as a child, it was Dr. Seuss and Frankenstein and just about everything fantastic. I started traveling around central New York and New York State to look for different varieties of stone fruit. Eventually I was able to find these different heirloom and antique varieties, but they are very rare, so I would bring them back here to my nursery, graft them onto a tree so that I could continue to use them. Now I have a huge collection of plums and apricots. Through the project, I've, I've worked with a lot of growers, and at first they didn't understand it because they were, why would you want to have a tree with that many different fruit on it? You would have to go back over and over to continue to harvest all the fruit. The project is, for me, always an art project. I was really interested in the idea of a hoax in terms of you know, hoax transforms reality. Part of the idea for the Tree of 40 Fruit was to plant them in locations that people would sort of stumble upon. Once they happened upon one of these trees, they would start to question, why are the leaves shaped differently? Why are they different colors? And then in summer, when you would see all of these different fruit growing on them, and of course in spring when they blossom in different colors. It is an artwork. When I first started, I just sort of grafted the branches on. So each variety blossoms at a slightly different time. And I had a tree that blossomed all on one side but looked dead on the other. From that point on, I created a timeline of when all of these different varieties blossom in relationship to each other. So I could essentially sculpt how the tree would blossom. For each of the trees, I keep a map, essentially, or a diagram of the tree. Yeah, it takes a really long time. I start a tree and I let it grow for about three years. And at that point, I can come in and start to graft onto those branches. Those four branches become eight. The next year, eight becomes 16, 16 becomes 32. It's essentially like an eight to nine year process. Essentially what you're doing with this clear plastic is you're creating a greenhouse uh, around the graft 
And so what it'll do is all that humidity helps the graft heal in. The first tree was planted in 2011, and it has the 40 varieties, but I anticipate it'll be about three or four years before it's at that peak and, and then peak blossom. Unlike any other artworks that, that I've made, these things continuously evolve. I think one of the reasons why I've been able to keep it going for so long is that every year it's something new. And when you come out here and the trees are all in blossom, it's really kind of an amazing experience. Plus you get fruit all summer. <laughs> I'd seen that video years ago, and I always thought it was an amazing thing that they did, that he did. And um, that's how I see the body of Messiah, as all these different branches, all these different varieties coming together and being grafted on this tree. So that when we look at, um, well, well, we necessarily probably can't see it so much from the inside, but at least from the outside, when we're looked upon, hopefully... We can look at this beautiful variety. And, um, you know, at first, things are a little ugly when we're first grafted on. You know, things don't look the greatest up close, but um, that's because there's a healing process going on within us. There's a, there's a, a cutting away, a pruning of, of the, the bad, of the unrighteousness, and um, allowing the good, the good fruit to come on. So let's end this in Revelation and it says, uh, 2216, I, Yahshua, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the assemblies, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So that's it. I, I just pray that um, this message was a blessing to you. And um, I also kind of want to carry on the message of John the Baptist out in the wilderness. And uh, he's, the, his message was, repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of Yahweh is at hand. Amen.